Morrison's QAnon friends, Barilaro not so friendly to Geordie, the minimum wage announcement, an update on the Biller-Wheeler family, and the good news is about funding for women in male-dominated trades, and BRICS in Nigeria. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. Thank you for joining us on this freezing cold day in central regional Victoria where we live and breathe and work. We are coming to you from the shed, which we should have pre-warmed more, and I am joined by the always... L- luminescent? Luminescent. Luminescent. There's a sense of warmth in luminescence, isn't there? Um, well, not in the, the deep dark sea, but, you know, we'll oh. just go with it. I'm luminescent. I Lu- glow. I'm such a glower. <laughs> Van Batum, how are you, Van? Oh, Ben, I think you know I'm quite fine because we live together. Indeed. You know, I've been hard at work at my on my gutting column all day. I know, I know you have. And it's been an interesting few days since the weekend wrap and certainly a massive week since our last episode. <laughs> because you and I decided that we would, like, live our Fallout 4 values and uh, watched our house lose power and hot water and, oh, man, the blackouts from the storms last week were quite something. They were, they were. Most Victorians have now been reconnected. But, of course, we've had the revelations in, about Morrison and his connections to QAnon on Four Corners. We'll talk about that today. We saw our friend Jordan Shanks and his operation get taken down by the counterterrorism squad, which we'll talk about in some <laughs> oh, detail. I can barely comprehend it. That's a nervous laugh, by the way, everyone. And I don't think what's happening to Jordan and co is very funny at all. No, no, and we'll need to be somewhat careful about what we, how we talk about that, because uh, obviously now there are some significant legal implications, and the last thing we'd want to do is jeopardise uh, anybody's uh, defence against some of the what uh, possibly outrageous accusations that have been made. There's also just this afternoon uh, been the minimum wage announcement, which will directly impact 2.2 million working Australians and millions more who have their wages pegged to increases in the minimum wage. So. So we'll talk about that. And then, of course, we'll give people an update on the Billa Wheeler family as well. And there's some good news, um, both close to home, very close to home for us, <laughs> and on the other side of the world. So let's get right into it. Van, you're the QAnon expert in this family. We can now talk about it. So I announced on Monday when the Four Corners episode was about to air that I have been writing a book about QAnon, and not just QAnon, but about the whole phenomenon of internet conspiracy cults uh, for the past year. And I actually made a mistake. I'm so used to saying, oh, yeah, I've spent six months um, undercover, you know, investigating QAnon. It's been closer to 12. Wow. But my sense of time has been locked down out of my brain, I think is the point. Um, And obviously, as you know, I've been following this stuff from when I started getting targeted by 4chan and those lovely boys who hacked my Twitter account and, you know, tried to just totally destroy my life a few years ago. So um, I'm now pretty well versed on QAnon. The book is called QAnon and On and because it's about the fact that internet conspiracy cults are something we're just going to have to cope with as an ongoing problem. And, you know, like I've been immersed in this stuff, which I, I mean, I would 
uh, as, as somebody who is now probably considered an expert on this topic, I would describe it as crazy town. And <laughs> and you have been the best partner ever. Um, oh, yeah. Well, look, yes. The cooking and the cleaning and the holding each other as we weep softly in the night has been an interesting experience. <laughs> Did I flip out the most about 12 million Americans believing in lizard people? Or do you think it was like the 4chan harassment stuff? Or I'm trying to, it was so traumatic writing the book that I'm trying to remember what was the most crazy town element of it all. It, it really has been an experience just going through the whole book writing process. Anyone who's ever written a book, or been the partner of someone who's written a book, I'm sure can relate to the fact that it's a stressful thing to do anyway. Um, this particular book, QAnon and On, uh, available in November. I suggest everyone rush out and get a copy. Uh, if you're getting a Christmas present from us, that's what you'll be getting. <laughs> um, but it, it's the topic. And of course, the way you write, Van, is so powerful and emotive and humanizing that, you know, I... I don't I, pay him to say that, no, but I do live with him. No, and I, I can be sometimes probably one of your harshest critics. This but, is also quite <laughs> true. But I wept. I wept when I read the opening chapter and it made it really hard for me to help you with the book in any way because it was so powerful and the stories are so difficult, but important to be told, important to be told. And I think that's what people need to realize. When you pick up the book, um, strap in. It's, it's a hell of a ride. Um, maybe set aside small doses at a time. You know? the, 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 I am working with the publishers at the moment, the editor, cutting it up into very small chapters so people can sort of process the level of crazy town yeah. uh, in, in smaller doses because they were like, what is this? And I'm like, it's all true, and, unfortunately. And I think Australia got a real taste of it on Monday night with the Four Corners story, right? So, you know, I want to I talk about that story because... You and I now have, I think, this level of insight into QAnon that many Australians won't have. There will be people, obviously, who have, who have more insight into it than, than us. But, you know, I think all Australians started to get a sense of, a sense of the flavour of what these things are about when they watch that Four Corners episode. The largest ratings of any Four Corners of the year, the largest non-news hour program of the night. More Australians watched that show than watched Big Brother, um, which is a first. So, Is that progress? That's is, the question. I think, is that I progress? think that is progress. But, you know, like the things that were aired in this, in this episode, we, you know, we need to talk about them because they're quite disturbing, you know. I, I was among the people who gave Scott Morrison credit for the national apology to the victims and survivors of institutional child sexual abuse. I grew up around in and around Ballarat, which has obviously been a, a, a hotbed for that kind of activity in the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Lots of people we know are survivors of sexual abuse. Uh, and Morrison, quite rightly at the time, got credit for standing up and making an apology to the to the survivors and the victims of that. Well, these are these are real stories from real people who have suffered real harm and real trauma, and because of the decisions of other people, have had to live with wounds that were inflicted on them for the rest of their lives. And, and we shouldn't forget that in what was talked about on Monday night, because what was talked about on Monday night was that the wording of that apology. Among other things, but for now, the wording of that apology was shaped in part by QAnon. 
by QAnon conspirators who influenced the language and used a particular phrase that is synonymous, and I'm not going to repeat the phrase, but it's synonymous with QAnon um, phraseology and belief systems. Yeah. So I'll just I'll give a 60 second overview of Q, what QAnon is. Yeah. All right. QAnon is a consp- internet conspiracy cult. Yeah. And what we understand to be QAnon in its current in- iteration actually comes out of and this is in my book thousands of years of conspiracy thinking and it it reflects this idea that um, all the problems in the world are caused by a tiny cabal of elites of elite powerful people who all protect one another and they gain their strength and charisma and Mm. evilness by and I'm literally not joking um, abducting uh, killing and eating children so there's a QAnon myth that uh, Hillary Clinton is involved in like the sexual abusive children in basements under various cities where she and other celebrities like Tom Hanks and Lady Gaga and and the cast of Friends yeah. um, eat children and there's supposedly video of her filleting the face off a small child and wearing it as a mask and dancing it around and then eating her stomach. Like, it is, it's madness. It is total madness. It is total madness. But what happened was QAnon, so these kind of mythologies have always existed. You know, they were said about Emperor Hadrian and, and all kinds of other people. So... Um, fair play to Hillary Clinton for making the you know Roman emperor echelons of, of notoriety. The thing is that it, um, in 2017, somebody started posting on 4chan, which is you know mm. this internet badland um, image board website mm. where you can say and do anything that's mm. all anonymous, yeah. claiming they're a government insider and they had all these insights into how Hillary Clinton was going to be arrested for her crimes against humanity and whatever. And this a poster who called themselves Q, who maybe one person, maybe many people, made all of these predictions about things that would come to pass and about how Donald Trump was like some kind of god emperor who was fighting this war against the cabal and the deep state elites. Like, it's really out there. Yeah. But they use all these standard phrases. And the other thing that they've done is that because their whole mythology is about, you know, blood-drinking pedophiles, basically, they um, push this whole thing about how they're rescuing all these abducted children and, you know, that they're these heroes and they use hashtags like Save the Children, Mm -hmm. which is not the the charity organisation that does charity work with children and things like that. And they really try to infiltrate the child protection space and, of course, have caused enormous problems in actual operations to save actually exploited children. Overwhelmingly, children who go missing or are subject to violence or exploitation um, are victims of their families and their households and community arrangements around that exploitation. They're not like innocent little babies snatched by lizards in the middle of the night. Like, that's not a thing that happens. They use all these inflated bogus statistics and stuff like that, but they try to give themselves this sort of veneer of credibility and get into that sort of child protection space. And you have people like Hedy Johnson and child protection campaigners who are just like, these people are evil and they're dangerous and they're misguided, like at best they're misguided. And it's in that sort of context then that having one of Australia's most prominent, I suppose you'd call it, QAnon people claiming to have influenced the language in Scott Morrison's speech. Bragged about it. Bragged about uh, yeah. how he got words into Scott Morrison's and apology he, to and abuse and he And he texted prior to the speech saying he was going to get the words in. He texted after the speech. He bragged about it on, on Twitter. He bragged about it online. He bragged about it on some online, um, uh, online videos that... Yeah, shot in the US, uh, 
And and the phrase itself, nobody else seems able to pin down. There's been Senate questions about the phrase. And where did it come from? Because it wasn't in the speech that was drafted. And, you know, you can imagine a Prime so... Minister gives a parliamentary speech. Like, these are not off the cuff. And, and Scott and, Morrison doesn't write them himself. And let me just say, th- this is a legacy speech, right? Yeah. This is not... This is not just an everyday in Parliament speech. This is a legacy speech. The national apology to the victims and the survivors of institutional child sexual abuse. The national apology into the victims and survivors uh, of uh, for the stolen generations. You know, these are sort these are the sorts of speeches that are crafted and and developed for weeks. You know, you're going to give this speech. You're talking to stakeholders. His office. His office from what I can see, has tried to suggest that it was a phrase that came out of a meeting with some stakeholders, some victim group yeah, stakeholders. Yeah, except that didn't happen. No. And everybody has said that didn't happen. No, yeah. So you have... So the the Four Corners episode is about the fact that this guy called Tim Stewart is a light in the eyes QAnon zealot, mm. as is his son, Jesse Stewart, mm. and maintains a blog, which I have read, which is Crazy Town HQ. Don't bother reading it. <laughs> don't, like, don't go there. Well, most of it is all taken down because he's been banned from Twitter, he's been banned from Facebook. He's on those really extreme kind of platforms now. Yeah. And he He's like, you know, the holy war and everybody is worshipping Satan and he's fighting a crusade against the Luciferians and it is it is out there. Yeah. Um and and he's he amassed a Twitter following of eighteen thousand similarly minded um, followers and was able to That's share information worrying. around. One of the things that didn't come out in Four Corners, which you can read about in my book, is how Two of Tim Stewart's targets for his conspiracy theories were Scott Morrison's internal Liberal Party rivals, Julie Bishop and Alexander Downer. How interesting that they were who are from, obviously, the moderate faction in the Liberal Party. And Julie Bishop, of course, was quite a leadership contender against Morrison. And she was on the receiving end of rather a lot of Tim Stewart's. She's, you know, wearing red shoes, which is a connotation of, you know, cabal participation and that kind of stuff, which is sort of interesting and worth noting. Um, and But Tim Stewart is one of these people, like, fighting his holy war. And it turns out, as Louise Milligan found in her investigations, and the story was broken by Guardian Australia, Christopher Naus um, was one of the journalists and then it was picked up by Crikey, who've done a lot of work on this as well, that uh, the Stewart's, uh, um, Tim Stewart's wife, was employed at taxpayer Spence as a paid friend to Jenny Morrison live, working in Kirribilli House. So they knew each other from high school, right? Yep, and they and were then, bridesmaids at one another's weddings. And then the and then the Tim Stewart and Scott Morrison became friends through yeah. their wives. And Morrison was still posting happy birthday messages, not just like in the, you know, because we all get the sort of Facebook, do your happy birthday thing, but he was posting happy birthday messages, I noticed, on photos. So, so you know... So he's gone into a photo. This was on Four Corners, and it only occurred to me afterwards that this wasn't just a, oh, yeah, happy birthday message, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. No, no, he's gone into a photo that this guy's posted Mm. on his his Facebook And given him the profile of a prime ministerial comment. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is is not a guy who, who he's bumped into in the pub, right? Somebody said to me on Twitter about this, oh, well, you know, this is... This is conspiratorial thinking to think there's a some sort of connection. 
connection here, da da da, da you know. Some, there are photos of them drinking beer together. Yeah. That's not conspiratorial. No, like, and this is not some guy, this is not a photo op. Like, they're, they're not drinking beer at some event with a thousand other people. There are literally photos of them at one another's weddings. They're, at, like. they're drinking beer at his house. Mm-hmm. They're standing together. Tim Stewart was, and this was revealed by Four Corners as well, he was a guest of Scott Morrison's on the day that he entered Parliament. Like, so, he was there for his maiden speech. Like, they are, they're tied. Yeah. And, and then, what we found out on Four Corners, which was unbelievably disturbing to me, was that Tim Stewart has been bragging on Facebook about how he was house-sitting Kiribilli House. Now, let me put this in context about the QAnon conspiracy theory. People who get into QAnon, and they call it going full QAnon, there are all kinds of language you can use to yeah. describe it, develop this mindset that, you know, that we're that they're in a war, a light to dark, uh, dark to light, sorry, war yeah. against these elites who they accuse of every awful crime ever. Yeah. In fact, Lucy Turnbull, the um, partner of the former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, spoke on Twitter today about how she was walking down the street and some obvious QAnon believer saw her and Malcolm Turnbull and screamed at them, accusing them of being pedophiles. Right? Like... Yeah. That's not anyway, the person you want in the Prime Minister of residents. So somebody who is part of that and but the thing is that people associated with the QAnon movement because it is so binary yeah. like us or them yeah. they good call or it, evil, dark in or psychology light. they call it the paranoid schizoid position yeah. like the world is overwhelming so you reduce it to heroes, villains, black yep. white so you have people in America and in Germany who have committed acts of murder and insurrection and terror in support of that ideology. Like, in America, they've had armed, like, militia people take over buildings. Yeah. Um, there was the Before QAnon, there was Pizzagate and the guy who obviously shot up the pizza restaurant convinced yeah. Hillary Clinton was eating children in the basement. Um, there was a guy who, like, staged a one-man occupation at Hoover Dam. There was another guy who was planning to bomb an art exhibition that contained, like, occult art in Chicago. Like, there are people who have abducted children thinking that they were being, you know, abused by the elites mm. and, and they're participating in high-level crimes, high-level crimes, yeah. murders. There is a body count. People who died in the insurrection at the Capitol building, yeah. two of them were QAnon believers who put themselves in harm's way yeah. because they believe this stuff. Like and it other is, QAnon believers film them dying. And film them dying. Like yeah. absolutely out there dangerous yeah. stuff. And we've talked about that before. That's uh, The more you get into it, the more dangerous that becomes. So you have someone who is an advocate of this stuff, mm. who is into it doing, you know, he's on the conspiracy circuit yeah, yeah. doing videos with Americans and whatever, who gets intimate knowledge of Kiribilli House. Now, Scott Morrison is not going to be Prime Minister forever. And, you know, they may be signalling that, oh, no, Scott's in with Trump and Scott's, you know, like a white hat and he's fighting the good fight, you know, against this town and kill Luciferian, yeah. child-eating, cannibal elites, whatever. And the next Prime Minister of this country could be Anthony Albanese, yeah. who presumably in local QAnon mythology is associated with all things evil. Or it could be somebody else from the Liberal Party who knocks off Scott Morrison. It could be, you know. Yeah. And... So you have an adherent of that ideology who has intimate knowledge of a prime ministerial residence, like it's it's you know, it's not just a case of cha- you know changing the locks and changing the security codes either, because it's the positions of the rooms, it's where the staircases are, it's where blind the, spots, vantage it, points, entry points. Yeah, it's 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 
phenomenally high risk. And and I've seen some government ministers try and palm off, oh, well, you know, the idea that this is a security concern is is in itself paranoid. Well, no, it's not paranoid. They were deemed, QAnon believers were deemed a domestic terror threat by the FBI yeah. years ago. Yeah, years under ago. Trump, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. under Trump, <laughs> under like, Trump. This... And their, their content has been banned from Twitter, banned from Facebook. Facebook is constantly deleting. Well, can you imagine... Can you imagine if if any prime minister, any other prime minister, had had a member of um, Al Qaeda in the, in Kirribilli House? Oh well, you know, but he's not an active. He doesn't do actively violent things, and we're old friends. That just wouldn't wash. It's funny you say that because um, Penny Wong has been on it. Like yep. one of the reasons we know about this is that Penny Wong has been asking questions at Senate Senate estimates. Yep. As Penny Wong is prone to do, she's been doing it for eighteen months. Yeah. And repeatedly asking questions about how is it that um, Lenny Stewart got a job at Kirribilli House? Like, what was the process? What on earth is going on there? What is the nature of the relationship? Tim Stewart, are the government aware of all these things? And one of the public servants who was questioned was like, oh, look, you know, it's not like he's a member of ISIS or anything. And it's like, you know, yeah, you know, people have done... Well, actually, yeah, kind of like he almost is but it's like just, that, but actually. if you're part of a, a movement that's associated with domestic terrorism, it doesn't matter if you're building the bombs or the water boy. Like, yeah. we understand that movements are of themselves dangerous and this is an extremist movement with a hardcore ideology that is literally rooted in, one, overthrowing democracy and, two, committing mass acts of violence. These are the people who are marching on the Capitol building saying, hang Mike Pence. Like, if Mike Pence is not right-wing enough for you, you are really in in a right-wing territory that we associate with, oh, I don't know, the biggest problems of the 20th century. And I'm not saying that lightly. It's also really important that people understand that QAnon and its mythology and all the stuff it repeats is inherently anti-Semitic. It is absolutely, positively, undeniably anti-Semitic and the symbols that it uses and the global cabal and all of the imagery. And the time that I've spent in the the QAnon forums, like in my undercover guys, like, you know, not all of it is that subtle when it comes to uh, particular attitudes towards the Jewish community. Yeah. And it's like anybody holding those attitudes it has has got to be considered in a security context. Yeah. And after the Capitol building, like it's just inexcusable that Scott Morrison has maintained relationships with this person. The story is that Linny stopped working at Kirribilli House in December last year. But another thing that came out in the Four Corners documentary was guess who Scott Morrison was on holiday in Hawaii with? The Stuarts. Yes, with the Stuarts. And in fact, you like this is all on their Facebook pages, the lovely photos of Hawaii that miraculously tee up with um, Scott Morrison's infamous visit there at the height of the Australian bushfires. It appears, given the uh, the, the the dates and the photographs and they all just everything happened else, to be in Hawaii. They together. just all happened to be in Hawaii together and had been planning the, the trip for some time. So rather than actually stand with communities that were facing annihilation, he went to Hawaii um, with his mate who, you know... Wants to see the overthrow of democracy. Wants to see the overthrow of democracy because we're fighting a holy war against Satan worship, a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles, apparently, that include Lady Gaga and the Pope. 
it's Catholics beware, they really don't like us either. It's hard to it's hard to fathom how unbelievable it is, except that you know these people believe this stuff, that they that this is their position on these things because they are so forthright about it. You know, like they don't they don't hide it. And it's interesting, you know, that Morrison Morrison hasn't come out and explicitly said I don't believe in these things. He's, no, he said it's found very offensive. He's very offended and, you know, people bringing this up. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't care if you're offended. You're the Prime Minister. You're expected to not hang out with people who publish blogs about Satanist, <laughs> the violent <laughs> throw of democracy and Satanist pedophiles. Like, it's, you're supposed to have higher standards than that because it is your job to run the country. And I have to say, Van, like, I... I I want to bring it back to that to that apology because I think I think for a lot of people the the stuff about Morrison and his him being a phony and him being a hollow man and all the rest of it, you know, they they'd see one or two things and they go, oh yeah, that's a bit fake. But politicians are a bit fake, or they'd see the stuff about the trip to Hawaii during the bushfires, and they're like, oh, that's just poor judgment. But you know. I got to say, it all adds up, right? Like it starts to pile up, and the evidence becomes sort of undeniable that this is a guy whose only interest is in power for himself and power for its own sake, and for what he can get out of it or use it for for things he's interested in. You know, he's got this QAnon mate. We've seen time and again these stories of corrupt dealings within his government, of companies and mates getting good deals, better deals than anybody else would get. And, you know, and Morrison kind of trying to skirt it, just, just brush it off. You know, he tried to brush off his absence during the bushfires. He's, he's, I don't hold a hose, He's mate. tried to brush this off, you know. No. He's, he, remember when the pandemic was hitting, he was going to go to the football. Like, you know, this, this is a... He's just not a serious man. Like, he's, he's a fraud, really. Yeah. And this whole thing with Tim Stewart is a really clear indication of how cyn- both cynical and appalling his judgment is. So the issue with QAnon in the United States of America is that QAnon people have absolutely enmeshed themselves in the Republican Party. Yeah. And because because they have a paranoid schizoid position where everything is black or white, good yeah. or evil, they behave as a group. Yeah. Now, in the cynical world of electoral manipulation, those people are gold. If they're loyal to you, you can get them to do anything. And in the United States, obviously, like Trump never disavowed them. He said yeah. sort of flattering, I know they I know they really like me. I don't know that much about them. I know they really like me. And sort of flattered their attention, meaning that they will do whatever Trump instructs them to do. It's one of the reasons they all turned up in Washington. Yeah. Now, we know there's some kooky business going on in the Liberal Party with some very marginal right-wing political opinions. Oh, absolutely. And if you're, like, perhaps the cynical leader of a political party that relies on certain kinds of candidate and branch support in order to stay in a leadership position, which is the case in Australia, where you're yeah. a lot more dependent on those systems than you are in America, where a president gets elected in their own right, it means that there are, say, pre-selection votes and stacks and other internal oh, party things that you can things. control. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility to see, you know, Morrison taking a hint from Trump about a nod is, a, is as good as a wink and a very loyal voting base. And you don't need a mass of these people. Like, political parties in Australia are not big. No. You know, if you can manage an incursion of a 1,000 people, oh. that can be enormously influential. Yeah. And if they're all, all loyal to you because they think you're fighting some kind of... 
Holy you know, war. Holy war. I mean, that's I mean, that's hugely helpful to you, isn't it? And because I keep looking at the language that he used in that apology, going, I've seen this because I've been stunning. Yeah, yeah. You know, like the the nods and the winks and the sly gestures and the you know coded. And, and you know, knows. I know, you know, you know. And everybody knows that that's what conspiracy theorists like, right? Like they, they you know, conspiracy theories are based on seeing the signs, and I can see that. What makes me special is I know the signs and you know the signs because we're in it and we're awake to it, but other people are not awake to it and they don't see the signs. So the fact that he said that means you and I know that he's on our side, whereas the other sheeple don't quite get it. Yeah, and you have this stuff coming out in Liberal Party-aligned Facebook pages. Like yeah. I've seen very what I would describe as QAnon familiar content on pages from Bernie Finn and George Christensen and obviously Craig Kelly before you know yeah. Morrison was finally forced to distance himself. It's all the same stuff. Like, it's all from crazy town. It's a worry. Casting. It's a worry. And this is what's really, really disturbing because history teaches us, and let us not be ambiguous about these things, the people who think they can control extremist elements generally end up getting controlled by them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well... Look, Van, the book comes out in November. Uh, there'll be pre-orders available before then. I'm going to say to everyone who listens to The Week on Wednesday, buy the book, <laughs> learn more about this stuff. It's going to be a feature of democracy for some time, um, <laughs> unless they win and overthrow it, but that there's going to be these groups out there trying to manipulate these situations. So the more you know, the more armed you'll be to deal with it. I do want to I give... I prefer not to use the word armed Sorry, in well, yeah, intellectually, intellectually, intellectually equipped. Intellectually equipped. Intellectually equipped. Look, I do want to give a shout out to our um, to our sponsor, Australian Unions. I love Australian Unions. Best think, sponsor ever. I think it's really important that while all this is going on, we can't forget that the Liberal government has very quietly announced over 900 changes to how Medicare pays for important treatments and surgeries. You'll have heard us talk about this a lot over the last week. It's changes that come into effect from the 1st of July. They include general surgery, orthopedic surgery, cardiac, cardiac surgical services. That's that's on your heart. Anyone who watched Euro 2020, who's a football fan like I am, a soccer fan like I am, and watched Christian Eriksen go down and need cardiac um, pulmonary resuscitation and who's now going to require cardiac surgery, um, it can happen to anyone. This is an elite athlete, 29 years of age, all the money in the world. Christian. Erickson. All of the Christian medical support, Erickson. doctors and physios, regimented diet, the whole works. Massive, massive cardiac uh, problem. You know, it can happen to anybody. The Liberals are going to make that more expensive. Varicose veins, of course, we all know that our elders suffer disproportionately from that. And, of course, just going to see the GP can be more expensive as well. But... As we know, Van, when we come together, when we work together, when we stand together in union and we go to australianunions.org.au slash Medicare, all lowercase, Medicare, wow, that's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday, we can help save Medicare. It's wow in capital letters? You can do wow in capital letters. Okay, wow. I'm just checking. Medicare, wow. So it's australianunions.org.au backslash Medicare. All lowercase letters. Wow. That's right. So right. get on there, fill in the uh, fill in the petition and join the campaign. And join your union. And it has been so awesome hearing from people who've joined their union yeah. because we've suggested it very strongly on this show and who are like, it's great. Like, I had no idea. And I mentioned on the show last week, it's a tax deduction. That's right. So join your union. And we got an email today from somebody who works in the Australian Union's contact centre saying that someone had called them and joined 
joined and the person said, you know, oh, you know, you don't have any pre-existing issues. Why are you joining? You've been in the workforce for a while. What, you know, what, what made you take the step to join the collective? And they said, oh, I listened to the week on Wednesday. Yay! And Van and, Van and Ben just made it seem like such a good thing to do. It so, is. We're pretty happy because we're union members. It's, it's a great thing to be part of. Now... Talking about people who are perhaps not so friendly. Um, John Barillaro. John Barillaro. The Deputy Premier of New South Wales. What an absolutely iconic figure he has made himself. Well, he has been implicated in a number of very New South Wales politics-style arrangements, hasn't he? <laughs> uh, just everybody, for context, I originally hail from the state of New South Wales and Benjamin obviously hails from Victoria. And, uh, the non-convict state. <laughs> Benjamin... And obviously, um, there are many, many jokes about made about a state full of criminals and a penal colony and various other and reductive de- stereotypes of New South Welsh persons. And a deputy premier who wanted to wipe out koalas. Yes, look, I wouldn't vote for them, um, no. even if I was uh, on fire. And um, like you know, rather a lot of New South Wales was. Yeah. And uh, certainly, I don't support suppose there is support there. Koala killing, habitat destroying, r- relentless, ruthless overdevelopment ways. I think it's terrible what's going on in New South Wales. I think it's awful. And I said that oh, as no. somebody who grew up there when Sydney was fun. Like, I remember when Sydney was fun before the Liberals destroyed it, where you could actually go out and have a good time before they just decided to police everybody into the ground. And um, and I, I miss the, the Sydney that I knew. It's not the same. It's interesting that you use the term police everybody into the ground. Yes, yes. I think it's... that one's just... <laughs> Lipped uh, to mine from um, pure subconscious suggestion. Because really. many many of our listeners will be aware of Friendly Geordies. It's Jordan Shanks, um, this this online phenomenon that is Friendly Geordies. Um, I've known Jordan for a number of years, on and off, um, through various issues. Um, you know Jordan pretty well as well. Um, look, the guy's outspoken. He says he says his piece. He speaks his mind. Um, you, you like it or you don't. He's got an act. He does. He's got an act, our Jordan, and. and his act is really interesting. I got into trouble for calling him a YouTube comedian today. Um, <laughs> even though he's he's a YouTube comedian, he does live shows. He you know he makes YouTube videos, but he's he's created this sort of YouTube comedy journalism hybrid, which is in the tradition of you know the the, the chaser, chaser. Yeah, yeah. and um, and the wharf review and the dingo principle and Max Gillies and you know we have this we have a tradition of political comedy in this country that he's very much a modern. Yeah. of, and he is where the people are, which is on YouTube. He's got a phenomenal following. There are people who would have no idea about what was going on in New South Wales politics if it weren't for the kind of you know energy that Jordan puts into exposing corruption. Absolutely. Um, and Some yeah. of his work on water in New South Wales has been, frankly, groundbreaking. It, it has, he, he has, when it comes to water rights issues in New South Wales, Jordan has done done the work and is and is prepared to do the work with just about anybody who's prepared to do the work. Doesn't always make him a lot of friends. There are some things he says and does that I don't agree with. I'm not going to go into a whole list of them. But frankly, he's doing his thing, and in to some degree, good on him. One of the things <laughs> to some degree, good on him. Well, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, he does things that occasionally I find questionable. 
Yeah. Um, but he does other things that are of incredible value. And the reality is he's got he's got his own audience. Yep. And he speaks to the aesthetic values of his audience. Absolutely. Just like I do and you do and hopefully anybody Sunders. listening to this. So yeah. one of the one of the one of the people that, you know, has been a focus for, for Friendly Geordies has been Barilaro. He's the deputy premier of New South Wales. He was the face, the public face of the Nationals Burn the Koalas campaign. Um, he he has a number of properties in New South Wales. He's not doing badly out, John, is he? No. and Not doing badly. And Jordan hired one of these, um, Airbnb'd one of these properties to make a satirical video about Barilaro. Barilaro, who, who frankly does play up on occasion to some of the stereotypes about Australians from Italian descent. He does... He, he, you only need to look at quotes of things he's said to know that he himself has played up to those stereotypes. And done it deliberately. And done it deliberately. Jordan being Jordan has taken that to a satirical degree and now Barilaro is suing him for defamation. Not going to get into the ins and outs of that. That's a separate court issue. The the thing that you raised, you know, that, that New South Wales has become, an, uh, become a state that arrests people into the ground, is that all of this has taken a bit of a sinister turn, right? A, a bit, I think, is an understatement. Well, it's taken a sinister turn. So Jordan's producer, Christo Lanka, was arrested by counter-terrorism police. Counter, like, let's go back. Counter-terrorism police. At his home, they came to his home on a Friday night, uh, arrested him uh, in front of his parents uh, and his sister. And his partner. And his partner and their dog. Their dog was apparently injured in the in the fracas that ensued. Um, Christo did not resist arrest. That's not uh, part of the uh, allegations against him. But there was uh, a fracas. There are accusations against the police about that. Um, the, the police yes. are denying those accusations. I'm sure you guys will be um, very surprised to hear that in the act of trying to snatch a mobile phone from someone's hand, a very large, uh, physically imposing police officer, who, by the way, did not have a warrant, um, fell into the group of people who were at the doorway of uh, Christo Lanka's home. He crushed his dog. And, I mean... yeah, and the people were injured yes. and the dog was crushed by the... I, I mean, I just... It's amazing, Ben. Like, I, I think, you know, it's certain... Um, so, so these are not regular police. No. This is a dedicated squad. Yes. And it's just amazing how 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 clumsiness can be really inherent to sort of squad activity in certain kinds of arrests. Well, I think you know, you can see the footage yourself if you check out Friendly Geordies. And it's on YouTube. my Twitter. I'll share it again so everyone can have a bit of a glance. Check it out on Vance Twitter. We'll share it on the week on Wednesday as well. Uh, it's worth having a look at. Look, the he He's been charged on uh, two charges uh, of talking or intimidation intending to cause fear or physical or mental harm. Um, there's video footage that has uh, come out of the supposed incident uh, where... So the, there's an incident that is the basis of a complaint. Yes. That, and the complaint is what drove this task force, which is called the Fixated Persons Task Force. And it's a it's a um, counter-terrorism squad. And it's supposed to, like, the idea is that this squad exists to deal with lone wolves or yes. 
as as we in the QAnon research business called stochastic terrorists. That's these people who get adult by ideology and take it upon themselves to take out a public figure. Would you, you know, say like the Hillary Christchurch Clinton. shooter was one of these sorts of He's people? a stochastic terrorist, yeah. yeah. So nobody was telling him to commit a mass murder. He just got the idea from all of the propaganda he was consuming and individually armed so himself. So a squad who's, who's intent and purpose is to prevent things like the Christchurch, Christchurch massacre. Or political assassinations, like to stop J. Edgar has, Hoover. Has not gone, J. Edgar Hoover, sorry, Lee Harvey Oswald. Has gone to... Well, we've <laughs> so, no, we got to stop Edgar Hoover. That oh, would no, that's, that's like but, conspiracy theory. But they, they, everyone. They've gone to the home of a YouTube producer, arrested a him. A 21-year-old university student YouTube producer, right? yes. Charged him with these... these intending to cause fear of, of physical or mental harm um, because the day before, and there is video footage of this as well, um, he, Mr. Lanka, approached Mr. Barilaro on a public street, called him by his name, said, you're trying to sue my boss. I've got the papers here. Mr. Barilaro is seen in the video ignoring He's on the phone. He's on the phone. He ignores, doesn't even acknowledge. And he uh, just gets in the car and drives off. Right. So on the basis of that, there was a complaint made. And then on the basis of that complaint, these counterterrorism policemen arrested this 21-year-old university student who produces YouTube videos. Now, just to put this in context, so it's being made out as if there's been stalking going on, and it's on the basis of two incidents. Barilaro did, I think, politics at the pub at maybe Macquarie University. Sure. And Jordan and Christo turned up, and it was a a chaser-style stunt, you know, in suits, whatever. Um, So he's he's on a university campus at this point. Yeah, so he's at the Conservatorium of Music in Sydney, which is not very far from... New South Wales Parliament House. Yeah. Like, it's a walkable distance. Yeah. And Barilaro, I think, was at a st- uh, the state funeral for... Oh, I feel terrible. I can't remember the name. Of the I, I don't know either. It's a football player who was a legend of the game, and I'm sorry to disrespect um, in this particular um, But we should be clear, moment. none of the footage looks like it's at a funeral. No. I'm, you you know, would I, have no idea that yeah. he'd been at a funeral from the footage. Because, you know, Christo and Jordan have been on this merry-go-round before, and they film everything. Yeah, they yeah. film literally everything. Yeah. That's why we have footage of the arrest and everything else. But Christo was coming back from the conservatorium or was on his way, either going to or coming from the university, and saw Barilaro and was like, I ha- and their papers that have... The, they had the, the wrong address on them have or something. Address, yeah. And they've all got to be countersigned and whatever. So it was like, I'll just give them to him. And um, Jordan Shanks has now made a video saying that they have subpoenaed the CCTV footage yeah. because they claim that Barilaro's complaint is based in an accusation which is not true. So, so these are all publicly available facts. Yeah. These are the allegations from either side. Um, obviously, there is going to be a legal process. There's going to be a court hearing, um, and they're all in dis- discovery at the moment. And I think, you know, we're not commenting on the legal validity of the case or the cases, the guilt or the innocence of various parties, or the veracity of the charges made in either direction. We're merely commenting on what has been said. Probably. And I think, and I think. It's fair to say I am commenting a little bit on John Barilaro more broadly. Oh, look, outside I mean, of this, let's comment on John issue. Barilaro. Because, like, I, not, 
I not a good person, not a good politician. Probably like, not fit to hold public office. Probably not fit to hold public office. Certainly responsible for some absolute, absolute disasters in New South Wales. And let's put this in the context of the fact that Jordan's operation has been monitoring his political activities mm. and his various, you know, alleged conflicts of interest for some time. But I think it's important that we understand that John Barillaro is a man who attempted to upend the government of New South Wales. Yes, his own government. The government that he's, yeah, he's a senior member of. He, he essentially attempted to subvert the course of democracy over his desire to see more koalas die, um, if I can put it that way, which seems like a really strange thing, right? And and there was this whole, people will remember, there was a whole blow up. The entire New South Wales government nearly fell apart because John Barillaro wasn't getting his own way, right? That's essentially what happened. He was attempting to blow up his own government from the inside because he wasn't getting what he wanted. And then he insisted he was going to run for the federal seat of Indian Monaro, and then he wasn't, and it's all very chaotic. And then it's a bit chaotic, John. And then John Barillaro decides, oh no, I, I'm going to have mental health leave, and he goes off on mental health leave. He doesn't resign as deputy premier. He doesn't move to the back bench. He doesn't take a lot of workload. He just takes a number of weeks off, and then returns to continue the chaos within the New South Wales government as the leader of the National Party. Like this is not. This is not a person who is fit for public office. And it's got nothing to do with his mental health. I mean, his mental health is his own business, frankly. It's to do with the fact that here's a man prepared to blow up the government of the largest state in Australia. Of which he is a part. Of which he is the deputy premier because he's not getting what he wants. Then thinks it's okay to come and go as he pleases. Then thinks it's okay to indulge in various lawsuits against various people because his reputation has been besmirched by them. This, that, by the way, seems to be an increasing trait among liberals. Oh MPs. yes, those great free speech champions. Remember when the liberals were all about free speech and we heard free speech, free speech, free speech all the time. I just want to read to you the bail conditions that have been uh, imposed on um, Christo. Yeah, please. Because they're kind of extraordinary. So the 21-year-old YouTube producer, um, bail conditions prohibit the arrestee from, quote, possessing images or caricatures of Barilaro or commenting on Barilaro's, quote, personal appearance or behaviour. So it would be a breach of bail conditions for him to own a cartoon of Barilaro done by somebody else. The lawyer who's representing um uh, who's representing Christo, Mark Davis, yeah. has said that he has never seen bail conditions like this. This is this is completely unhinged. Um, everybody knows that I do the occasional um, appearance on Marcus Paul's show um, on 2SM yep. in Sydney. And uh, obviously... Um, great guy, great show. Great Tune guy, in. great show. Like, best commercial uh, radio show in Australia, hands down. He's yep. really funny. He's a good guy. He posted some cartoons of um, Barilaro on his Facebook page mm. and it appeared, and I've tweeted about this as well, yesterday he was legally made to take them down. This is, I mean, there is a freedom of the press issue here. There is a general freedoms issue here. There's a right to satirise issue here. It's it's a, there's a potential misuse of power issue here. Like there is a lot going on in this story. It's obviously going to continue on. Uh, we'd encourage everyone to support the legal fund uh, of, of Mr. Lanker because 
you know, this is a 21-year-old uni student who makes, who produces YouTube clips, right? This, and he's now got this quite serious potential criminal charge, which could deeply impact his life. And, and I'm really glad that Xenophon Davis, which is the firm Mark Davis works for, and Mark Davis people might might have heard that name before. He himself was a Four Corners presenter. He's also represented Afghan whistleblowers. Um, it's a good firm. Mark Davis is an excellent lawyer. Um, but the legal costs in this are likely to get up there because, of course, um, this involves the Deputy Premier of the largest state in Australia. Yeah, and I just want people to... Now is really the time for solidarity. You don't have to like what Jordan does. No. You don't have to know who Christo is. No. You know, but you do have to respect the fact that either we live in a smaller liberal democratic society or we don't. And are you really comfortable with politicians deploying counter-terrorism squads to arrest people who make YouTube videos that satirise them. Now, are you comfortable with that? Nobody's doing anything in secret. This is all filmed. It's all public. It's yep. public interest comedy journalism. Like I said, we have a rich tradition of this in Australia. And you have a deputy premier whose skin is so thin that a flurry of legal complaints, defamation... Like, well, I think it's. Are you comfortable with that? I think it's. I want to. I want to end this story with the with the words of Christo's dad, who walked outside and kept filming as they loaded his son into the unmarked police car. When he said, "You can't do this in Australia. You can't just come to someone's home and take them away." And that's the question. That's actually a question that we have to answer now. Can you do that? Can you get away with that? Yeah. If you work for a you know? comedy troupe, should your day involve being wrestled to the ground? So whatever you think of cuffed. Jordan, whatever you think of Christo, whether you know them or not, the fundamental question here is, can the police take someone away, drag them out of their home? Is that the kind of Australia we're going to have? Look, we're running, running out of time. We've still got four stories. Oh, my God. Today, the minimum wage case was concluded for the year. Minimum wage impacts 2.2 million Australian workers, plus millions more whose wages are pegged to the minimum wage. It's very complex. I'll go into it in more detail on the weekend wrap. But just so you know what the decision was today, there will be an increase of 2.5% from July 1, 2020 to $772.60 a week or $20.33 an hour. That's now the minimum wage. If you're getting paid less than that, you're getting paid less than minimum wage, join your union, talk to your union. If you've got friends, family members, kids, parents who are getting paid less than that, get them talking to their union straight away because chances are they're being underpaid. This is an increase of about eighteen eighty a week. So, And if you want to join your union, you can follow our link, which is australianunions.org.au backslash wow. Wow. Um, now, this is slightly less than the ACT you wanted, the, the 3.5 they wanted. Aki and AIG wanted 1.1%. That would have been a real cut for people. So thankfully, they've said no to that. There are some caveats here. And as I say, I'll go into more detail on the weekend wrap, so tune in there. But the retail industry is being delayed to the 1st of September. So if you're in retail, your minimum wage will not go up until the 1st of September. Contact the SDA for more detail about that. They are the retail union that you need to talk to. 
to. In airlines, hair and beauty, racing, restaurants, they're all being delayed till the 1st of November. Now, again, what you want to do there is you want to contact your union. Go to Australian Unions. They'll help you out. There's lots of different unions that cover those industries. Um, But the minimum wage is going up 2.5% for most people from the 1st of July, for retail workers from the 1st of September, uh, and for people in airlines, hair and beauty, racing, amusement parks and restaurants from the 1st of November. Check out Australian Unions for more details. Quickly, Van, I want to give an update on the Biller Wheeler family because I know a lot of our listeners were very interested in this, very actively participating in this campaign Mm -hmm. to to make sure these people could go home to Biller Wheeler. And to a degree, the public pressure is starting to work, isn't it? Yes, because we've had a number of coalition MPs now come out and suddenly decide that they think that these people should maybe be let out of detention. And what a coincidence. Um, One of them is the MP from Biller Wheeler um, who is retiring. Right. Um, who has said, yeah, you know, they should they should probably come home. But we've also had Trent Zimmerman and Katie Allen come oh. out. Um, I, I'm sure an announcement from Dave Sharma will be imminent because these are, of course, the Liberal MPs in the very leafy Liberal seats that are under a bit of threat from uh, progressive independence and... Conservative independence. Sorry, conservative independence. Sorry, what am I saying? Um, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, I believe is the term. <laughs> uh, they, they're frightened of being Zali Steggled, basically. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. so, so people know, I'm sure you're already across it, but Alex Hawke, who's the immigration minister, put out a statement at around 5.30am this morning saying that their family would be allowed to go into community detention in Perth. Perth is probably the furthest possible place from Biloela, by the way, and still be within the continental <laughs> Australia. But nonetheless, <laughs> it is closer to where their daughter is in hospital. And I think that that's some, some comfort to them. Um, that they're not in an island prison. Yeah. and But, you know, even in that statement, it's very clear the government hasn't decided what to do next. It doesn't really know what to do next. It, it They're on the back foot, so it's really important people continue to support the family um, and, and, and push really for policy loud. change. And apparently if you phone Karen Andrews, um, who's the MP who has some jurisdiction in this area, yeah. um, in the government, I can't remember what her ministerial title is. Is she Home Affairs? She might be Home Affairs. Yeah. God, that's terrifying. Yeah. And um, I've clearly just blocked it out mentally. But um, apparently her phone has been running hot and it goes straight to voicemail. So keep phoning, like yep. keep phoning and making sure that that phone stays going to voicemail because that's what she's got to know, that it's not stopping, it's not going away. But she gave this statement going, oh, look, this isn't about being mean. And I'm like, really? You've got like... Because I'm pretty sure Amanda Vanstone and Peter Credlin have both written pieces where they almost explicitly say, it is about being mean. Yeah, and, and yay that's mean. A good thing. Let's yeah. be pro-mean. Let's yeah. have more meanness. And it's like, you've got like a family in an isolated island prison. And one of the children has... There was an article in the Washington Post talking about this, saying the, li- the little girl yeah. is now... Her, her teeth have rotted yeah. and she's developmentally delayed because of the condition she's been kept in. It's, and it's like, that's on us, Australia. Yeah. Like, unless we intervene and stop the government from doing that, we are responsible. Can I just say who's been surprising on this has been Barnaby Joyce? As, as you know, not a fan of Barnaby Joyce. No, not a fan. Not, and, not and flag wavers for the barn and in no, this house. No, not at all. But even Barnaby Joyce has Remember admitted, when he tried to stop your parents from getting legally yeah, yeah. married? Yeah, I don't I like the guy. That. I don't yeah. like the guy. But, but even Barnaby Joyce, has come to the view that these two little girls were born in Australia and sending them to Sri Lanka is the equivalent of sending them to Somalia or Uganda or 
Germany or anywhere else where they weren't born and are not from? Like, why send them to Sri Lanka at all? Now, I don't care how you get to the point of keeping them here. And if it takes that kind of weird <laughs> Barnaby Lions, logic, yeah. fine. Just let these people go home to Biloela. Now, I do want to quickly have another plug for our sponsor, Australian Unions. Australian Unions is Because the best. they're campaigning to save Medicare. Medical experts have warned Medicare changes will increase out-of-pocket costs. And for some patients, for some Australians, that means they will need to find $10,000 for their medical bills. Yeah, that's not good. That's not very Australian. And by the way, if you do join your union as a result of listening to this show, let us know. Yeah. Might, it makes us so happy. And if you sign the petition that I'm going to call on you to sign, please share that. Share the fact that you signed it. Because I know around 24,000 people have already signed it. I want to know that every single person who listens to the work on Wednesday is signing the petition, is joining their union. Australianunions.org.au backslash Medicare in lowercase letters. Wow! In great big letters. I love that you still call it backslash. It's just slash. It's just People just call it slash. I'm old. Yeah. I told you I was old when we got together. All right, sign the petition, put pressure on the government, don't let them cut more out of our Medicare. Now, let's get on to some good news, Van, because we are massively over time, and thank you to everyone for sticking with us today. What's your good news? Because I want to end on my good news. All right, so my good news is actually that there's been some more funding for women in trades. So some of you might know that I'm on the board of of Ballarat Group Training, BGT. So we do training and apprenticeships. Beautiful disclosure, Benjamin. Very elegantly well done. I just think people should be aware of this. Anyway, I came across a story today that turns out this organisation that I'm on the board of is partnering um, with another organisation, Women's Health Grampians, um, to deliver a a program designed to help women get into trades. So the Victorian government is is running Women on Site, and that's being delivered by Victorian Trades Hall, another great program. This program is going to help women in central Victoria get into male-dominated industries. It's got mentoring. uh, It's got educational programs for the workplace to help address some of the workplace cultural issues that often um, confront uh, you know, women have to confront and shouldn't have to overcome that. They should address the issues in in the workplace. Uh, and it's part of a program to help 40,000 women across Australia get into trades and other male-dominated industries. And I'm, I'm going to say this, Van, you know, I'm very proud of the work we do at BGT, um, but currently only nine of the 150 apprentices and trainees that we have on the books there are women. So this this program, I think, is really important. Um, programs like this, I think, are, are vital. Um, and it's great to see more of them coming up and more of them being delivered uh, all, around, all around the place and this one in, in regional Victoria. So... Really happy to see that. Now, what's your good news? Because your good news takes us a bit further afield than our backyard. Okay, it's in Nigeria, <laughs> but it's amazing. So Nigeria, like everywhere else, has a plastic problem. Mm-hmm. But Nigeria also has a fairly significant um, post-colonial, like, weak internal markets, yeah. chaotic kind of um, legacy of colonialism problem as well. So um, Nigeria has a lot of earth roads and people just throw plastic waste from cars um, onto these earth roads and they cause enormous problems as you can imagine. So a group in Nigeria um, noticed that extremely poor communities were going around collecting up plastic bottles that were found by the sides of dirt roads Mm. and just filling them with sand basically Mm. and using them as building materials in houses to build like a traditional Nigerian style shelter. 
And this group went, this could be a really good project. We need to get rid of the plastic. We need housing. We want to empower people. There are problems with unemployment and things in Nigeria. So they ran this program where they got jobless young people to collect up this plastic, fill plastic bottles with sand, Mm. and these were like zero-cost building materials. And they've worked out this sort of lattice design of assembly where they build a traditional Nigerian house with 14,000 plastic bottles filled with sand, and then they're sort of cemented in and... um, there are nets around them. Well, it turns out that these bottle bricks, and they call this bottle brick technology, is 18 times stronger than bricks and earthquake resistant because everything's filled with sand. Yeah. Things shift and find their level. So they've, they're going to the Nigerian government um, uh, to sponsor mm. this sort of uh, across the country, going, we can preserve traditional culture and traditional sort of building techniques, collect plastic waste, have a sustainable form of development with zero cost housing materials and create affordable housing across the Nigeria. Fantastic news. I love that story. Such good, such a good story. All right. What a massive show we've had today. It's been a big one. We're gonna we're gonna break through an hour. I feel like I'm just gonna sit here for a minute just so we click over the hour. Yeah, all right. Well so let's not do that. Ben also has some good news. Ben is starting his own radio show, live broadcasting on Apple FM Backest Marsh. It yes. is called his show. The world as it is. The world as it is, where people are encouraged to write in their questions and Ben will answer them to explain why things are the way they are in uh, politics, government and the economy across the world. I'm so proud of you, Michael Dye. It, it's not ready to go yet, but it, give it a couple of weeks and we will. <laughs> a bit of a preemptive announcement there, but that's all right. We, we have we have agreed on it. Um, so We're also appearing at the Interesting Festival in Bogor on the 26th of June. We'll be doing a live episode of the week on Wednesday, um, which will be very exciting for us, and you can find out about that online. Bogor, I love you. Yes. Don't forget the weekend wrap uh, every Sunday night, uh, where we will go into more detail on the minimum wage and some of the economic news of the week. Uh, and we also encourage you to share, share, share. So good to get the feedback from people. We had lots of comments last week. We've got lots of people joining their union, which I think is fantastic. Do let us know if you have a good news story, because it's always great to share those. And do let us know if there's anything of interest you think. I did get one comment from somebody, Van, who suggested we should interview Julian Hill at some point. Oh, we love Julian. Yeah, the member for Bruce, I do believe. The member for Bruce. If anybody hasn't checked out Julian Hill on Twitter, check him out, see his videos, and let us know if you think we should talk to him on the show at some point (laughs) in the future. We'll take Julian to a vote. Don't worry, Julian, I still love you. I love you, Vanny. I love you too. You're the best. Bye. Bye.